good to be with you all. Happy Easter. As we end our, our Lord, Lord's Day this Easter Sunday, uh, I want to take our time tonight to reflect on the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, as we think about Jesus, as we introduce other people to Jesus, perhaps you can remember back to when you began to consider the claims of Christ. We usually all begin uh, looking at his, his life historically, right? Very few people would argue with Jesus as a real person who lived around 2,000 years ago, born in a town of Bethlehem. He grew up in Galilee, began to publicly teach and do miracles around the age of 30. Um, he was falsely accused and then eventually would be crucified. And as we look at Jesus in this way, Few would question his moral teaching. In fact, most are drawn to it. Uh, few even question his death on a cross. But Jesus will not let us just stay with just this lens of history. Right? Many are, are happy to see Jesus as a spiritual guru, someone we can look to and say, yeah, be, be like Jesus. Just, just do what he did. Follow him as an example. But Jesus won't just let him take himself as a spiritual guru. No, there, there's meaning behind the life of Jesus. And this meaning is for us a, a personal meaning. It's a very strange idea. As if you think about thinking of uh, a great-grandfather, perhaps, and you, you look at your great-grandfather and say, wow, he was a great man, uh, did a lot of great things, um, said some good stuff. So let me think about what that means for me personally or to, to a friend. What does that mean for you personally? Right? People would look at you and think that's, that's sort of a strange idea. What do you mean my, your great-grandfather has something personal to do with my own life? Right? There's theology behind the person of Jesus because he said so many things that were more than just follow my example. Jesus is unique because he made such astonishing claims about himself that if false, these things would taint all of his good teachings. But if they're true... Then, then they would change everything. So think about, for example, when Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He didn't say, I, I'm here to set those aside. He didn't say, I'm here to clarify these things. He didn't say, I'm going to add to it. He didn't say, I'm going to, to abrogate it. No, he said, I came to fulfill it. Right? No spiritual person in history has ever made such a claim that everything that had been written for hundreds and thousands of years before he came would be fulfilled in him, in his life, and in his death. Jesus also said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Right? Most spiritual leaders want to attract a following, and, and this following then serves them with their money and their, their time, Right, but Jesus said, I didn't come to be served in that way. No, I came to serve, to serve you. And the chiefest way he does that is to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus had the audacity to claim, I am the resurrection and the life, that no one would come to the Father but through me. Right, I am the resurrection. He's not saying that heaven is out there or follow these steps and, and you will get to nirvana. No, he's saying that I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the truth. 
Jesus made astonishing claims about himself that if these claims are false, they would taint all of his good teachings. But if they were true, then it changes everything. And so what's the key? What's the key to seeing Jesus as this historical person, but also this rich and deep theology? What, what holds these two things together? The thing that holds them together is the resurrection. The resurrection. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. There he writes, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. In other words, if this resurrection event did not happen, then all of this theology that we're telling you is in vain. It's useless. It does you no good. But if it's true, then it changes everything. Without Jesus, our faith is in vain. With his resurrection, everything changes. So tonight, I want to think about Jesus' resurrection. And I want to think about three realities of his resurrection. Three realities that we see in Jesus' resurrection. So here's the first. Jesus' resurrection is vindication that the gospel is true. Jesus' resurrection is vindication. It's proof that the gospel itself is true. Here's what one author says. He says, the resurrection was the triune God's amen to all that Christ did on earth. It was God's stamp of approval, his perfect life of obedience, and in his death taking upon himself the full penalty for sin. All of that in the resurrection, God is giving his stamp of approval. Amen. It worked. The gospel itself is true. It vindicates the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. It vindicates Jesus' identity as the Son of God. Here's what Paul tells us in the opening of the book of Romans. He says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God, appointed, declared in power or by power to be the Son of God. Now, what does this mean? It means that his resurrection was a public event, and this publicly vindicated him as indeed Son of God. That's what God was showing us in his resurrection. What he would privately tell his disciples and those who were in the region of Judea and Galilee, all these things that they could hear from him is now on public display for the whole world to see because of his resurrection. Calvin notes on this verse, he says that Jesus was declared by power because power, peculiar to God, shows forth in him and uncontestably proved him to be God. And this was indeed made evident by his resurrection. And so if Christ had not been risen from the dead, if he had stayed in the tomb, then he would be just another in a long line of supposed messiahs who arose and gathered a following, but eventually would die, and those followers then be scattered and forgotten forever. Right? Jesus' resurrection vindicates him publicly as the Son of God. It's on display for the whole world 
to see. Jesus' resurrection also vindicates that God is a God of justice, that God is a God of justice. Here's what Paul writes in Acts 17. He tells us, the time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, this meaning this day that God will come to judge the entire world, of this he, God, has given assurance, or the NIV says proof. He's given proof by all, or to all, by raising him from the dead. Right? In the resurrection, God is showing himself, proving himself to be a God of justice. He doesn't just set sin aside. He doesn't just forget about it. No, God is infinite in his knowledge. He sees everything. He hears our cries of injustice. He remembers. He knows God doesn't just forget about his justice, but no, in the cross we see exhibit A, that God takes sin seriously, and that the only way for it to be removed is that it would be crushed once and for all. God is going to judge the world in righteousness, according to his own righteousness. And a day is coming, Paul tells us, when God will judge the entire world once and for all. So God is a God of justice, but we also see in the cross and in the resurrection that God is a God of love. The resurrection vindicates that God is a God of love, that according to God's steadfast love, he would send the Son of God into the world to pay the penalty for sin. God shows his love for us. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. So Jesus' resurrection is proof that God sees our sin, he knows our misery, and in his infinite wisdom, he has demonstrated his love by upholding his justice. All right, God is a God of justice, but he is also a God of love. And in the cross and in the resurrection, God is showing us that not only does he take our sins seriously, he also sends his son to satisfy the penalty of our sin. So that's why Paul in these verses tells us to repent. He says, God is a God of justice, and so repent. In other words, receive this infinite love in Christ, because in him, by believing in him, we can be freed from the penalty of sin before it's too late. On that final day, there will only be two options for us. Either my sin is paid for by Jesus, or I will pay for it myself. That's what we see in the resurrection. God is vindicating himself as a God, not only of justice, but also a God of love. And in the resurrection, we see that Jesus' death really worked. So the resurrection is vindication that his death really worked worked. Here's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6. He says, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Right? It, it couldn't hold on to him. The, 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 the grip of death couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. But Jesus rose again. 
And you hear echoes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 where God promised, promised to send an offspring of woman who would come and crush the head of Satan, the head of the one who introduced sin and death into the world. And what we see in Jesus is it's true, it worked. Jesus did crush the head of Satan. The last great enemy of death has been defeated. Love has won. Christ has conquered. Paul tells us in Romans 4 that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. That means his resurrection is declaring us as not guilty, that this actually worked for us. The theology is true. It does have a personal effect on our lives. Jesus did fulfill the law, both positively in his life and negatively in his death. Jesus really did become a ransom. He paid the penalty for our sin, and his payment worked. It was sufficient. Jesus really did defeat Satan in the last great enemy of death, and he did it to demonstrate his love for us. And friends, this is not wishful thinking. Right? This is not just some made-up story that, that we're, we're presenting as, hey, believe this. We don't know if it's true. No, no there's proof. There's evidence. There's vindication it's that Christ rose from the dead. No other prophet, no other spiritual guru in history has ever claimed to be the Son of God, and not only that, to lay down his life and to rise up again by his own power. Jesus is the Son of God in power. The gospel is vindicated. It's true. And so as he would ask Martha, I think Jesus would ask us here tonight, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus did rise again. Jesus' resurrection is vindication that the gospel is true. Here's a, a second thing we see about the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection unleashes power for a new life. It unleashes power for a new life. So here's what one author says. He says, in Jesus' resurrection, God is saying, very good, as the new creation dawned with the rising of the Son of God. That just as God in the beginning would create the world and call it good, so now in Jesus' resurrection, there's this new creation. And God is saying, very good to this new creation. There's power for new life in the resurrection. And it's unleashed, it explodes out into the world. And this is what I love about spring, like a day like today where, where the sun finally comes out and, and the temperature's warm, right? All winter long, everything looks dead, it's brown, it's wilted, it's dead. But then all of a sudden you get some warm rains, you get longer days and the sun comes out and, and this explosion of new life happens. I feel like it, it's going to happen today, tonight, probably tomorrow, certainly this week. This, this life is going to burst forth. Right? It's, it's an amazing thing to think about that somehow lying dormant all winter long, these, this, this nascent life is just lying under, underground, right, under all that snow, and then all of a sudden it bursts out into new life. And so too with Jesus. Jesus could not stay dead. Death was not strong enough to hold him. Jesus defeated it and then burst forth in resurrection power. And friends, this is good news for us. It's good news because we too can experience this new life. 
How can we experience it? We can experience it because there's a new power that is at work within us. This is what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Right, so the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, that same power is in us, and it's working this new life in us as well. Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would know this power. He says it's the, the same power that worked in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. Right? God is the active agent in this new life. He's given his spirit to us to dwell in us. And we are raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses, Colossians 2. So this resurrection power, it burst forth in new life because the same power that was in Jesus is now at work in those who are joined to Jesus by faith. This is a, a power that comes from outside of ourselves. And this is good news for those who know that deep down, there's just nothing that we can do to fix ourselves, right, to change ourselves. I, I, I talk with a lot of people who are often looking for uh, hope in life. Uh, they, they, they recognize in themselves that something is wrong, something's, something's broken, uh, they, they just can't quite seem to, to do what they want to do. Right? They, they try as hard as they can, and nothing seems to get better. In fact, the harder we try, we realize that it just seems to get worse. Right? We, we can't fix those things in us that, that just seem to be uh, things that just annoy us and, and things that annoy other people. Right? And, and, and where, so where do we go when we recognize that in us? Where do we go for help? Well, the world would tell us, just look within. Just look for the power that's within. But friends, that's not good news because we know that we're limited. We know that we are weak in ourselves, right? We're weak to change our own hearts. And so here we see that there's a new power that is at work within us. It's not from within. It's from without. It's God's spirit who comes to live in us and change us by his grace. So you might be thinking, if this, if this power is available, what, well, how do I get it, right? How do I get that same power to be at work within me? Well, the answer is that we need to grab hold of it with our hearts. And so how do I do that? We do it by faith. One theologian has said faith is like fingers of our soul, right? Our souls grab onto things, whatever we trust in, whatever we believe in. And, and that thing becomes the, the, the power that's at work within us. And so for Jesus, when we believe in him, we're joined to him. We're joined in his death for sin, but also in his resurrection to new life. This faith is fueling, it's motivating us, it's giving us this new direction because now God is at work within us. So not only is there a new power, there is a new motivation, a new motivation. Here's what Paul says in Romans 6. We were buried, therefore, with him, by baptism into death, in order that, or for the purpose of, 
just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there it is. There's the new motivation. There's the new direction that just as we were buried with Christ in death, so too might we walk in newness of life as we have been raised with him. We count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That counting, that considering, this is a new motivation that should fuel our daily life. That's why Paul can say in Colossians 3, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is. That if then, if, if you have been raised with him, well, seek it out. Seek to enjoy it. Seek to experience it. This is true of us. We have a, a new motivation now to live, not by our old self, but by the new self in the spirit. This is what changes our duty into delight. This is what changes us from slothfulness to zeal. If we have been raised with Christ, then we are joined to something that is more powerful than we could imagine. And so we ought to seek it out. We ought to experience the full power of it in our lives, to live by the power of the Spirit that is now at work within us. So we have this new motivation and this new power because of Jesus' resurrection. And friends, I hope that you can see that in this is good news. Not, not that we have to follow a bunch of rules, but no, we get to experience this new life that God himself is working within us. The new creation has dawned, and we get to experience that now. So Jesus' resurrection unleashes power for a new life. And here's the third thing, that Jesus' resurrection guarantees our future hope. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our future hope. And it's not just that we get a new life now, but we have a higher and a better hope for a world of righteousness and infinite beauty. This is the hope that we have of the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus came to give us this future hope. You might ask, well, what does this future hope look like? What is this going to be like? It's a future hope for a physical resurrection, a physical bodily resurrection. This is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6. He said that God raised the Lord and he will also raise us by his power. This is a future thing. God will raise us just as he raised the Lord. He will also raise us by his power. And part of Paul's argument there in 1 Corinthians 6 is he's saying, look, if that's true, if if we are going to be raised just like Jesus was, then then don't join yourselves now to things in this world that are sinful, right? Because in the resurrection, we will be pure and blameless and spotless and sinless, just like Jesus in his resurrection. So, So why play around with the garbage and the filth of this world when we are bound for a world of infinite beauty and good. It's Paul's argument there in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul also tells us in 1 Corinthians that Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the, the first fruits. That means this, there's this harvest that is about to come. Jesus was just the beginning of it, 
But this harvest will continue. And this harvest will be just like him in his resurrection. So as Jesus was raised with a physical body, so will we. All right, think of Thomas when Jesus appeared to Thomas. And what did he say to Thomas? He said, Thomas, touch my hands, touch my side. Look, this is a physical and bodily resurrection. And this is what we are going to share in as well. That just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, so we shall bear the image of the man of heaven, the resurrected Jesus. Our resurrection bodies, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, will mysteriously have a greater glory than what we see and experience now. And that's a a hard idea to to wrap our minds around. What what does it mean that we're going to have a a greater glory than what we experience now? Look, sometimes when I'm not exactly sure how to understand things like this, I like to go back and and read what some of the Puritans have said about it. They have a sort of poetical way of of drawing out truth and, and making it alive. So here's one of my favorite, Thomas Watson, uh, as he describes what our bodies will be like, this physical resurrection in heaven. He says that what may be deformed or misshaped now will one day be beautiful in the resurrection. And he goes on to describe it as a perfection of parts. That means our bodies will fit together in a perfect way, no longer misshaped, no longer deformed. He said, we'll have a clarity and a splendor in these resurrected bodies. So think of Stephen right before he was stoned to death and he looked into heaven and saw Jesus. And what what does it say? His face shone. There's this clarity, there's this splendor about him. Watson says, we'll be free from the necessities of nature. So that means our hunger and our thirst and natural desires, these things will no longer control us. He says, we'll be swift and nimble meaning that our bodies and our souls will align in this perfect, uh, swift way. So no longer will our desire be for one thing and our body go the opposite. No, our desire will be perfect and pure and our bodies will be right there behind, right? No longer the subject to the clumsiness of our physical world here uh, here in this world. He says we'll be strong and firm, And what a comfort that is for those who struggle with chronic sickness and weakness. Our bodies will be raised in in a strong and firm way. And lastly, our bodies will be immortal, meaning no longer subject to the pains and the sufferings of death. No more cancer, no more Alzheimer's, no more old age, no more MS. No, all these things will pass away and we will be immortal. What a hope that gives us that we will be raised physically just like Jesus was. We have a future hope of a physical resurrection. But friends, it's even better than that. It's not just the the physical aspect to this resurrection. We also have a future hope of infinite joy. Infinite joy. This is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4. He says that we know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus And he will bring us with you into his presence. Right? This this joy of knowing that in the resurrection, there's going to be this great family reunion. We will all be raised and we will be brought together into the presence of God. This fullness of joy. 
where sadness and tears and mourning and death, all of these things will be no more, where there's infinite joy, unending peace, and satisfying rest. And Paul goes on to tell us that because of this hope, we don't lose heart. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That there's no longer a fear of death because death has been defeated. And we brought into the presence of God where there will be fullness of joy forevermore. Peter says it in his way. In 1 Peter, he says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This living hope, why is it living? It's because Jesus himself is alive. And we have this hope that is alive and real for us today. It's an unshakable hope for the future because we know how the story is going to end. Jesus says, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I, I, Jesus says, I myself will raise him up on the last day. Our future hope of infinite joy is a hope that suffering and pain and death itself can never take away. So let me close by reading a quote from Tolstoy. He was a Russian author in the 19th century. Uh, in, in this quote, you'll hear echoes, I think, of what a lot of us are asking today, whether it's us or friends or family. Here's what he, 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 he wrote uh, asking this very important question. He said this, quote, my question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. And here was his question. There's actually several questions, but it's basically the same question. And here it is. He says, what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live why wish for anything or do anything? Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? And I think that that series of questions is, is what many of us perhaps have wrestled with. Maybe some of us are wrestling with that now. Certainly friends, family that we know probably wrestling with that question. Is there anything, any meaning to my life that death is not going to just wipe out? destroy? Is there anything after death? And friends, I hope as we've explored and, and, and thought together tonight about the resurrection is to see that if this resurrection is true, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Yes, there is something that death can never take away because death itself has been defeated. And we have the guarantee of God himself, the Holy Spirit working in us new life and this future hope of eternity in God's presence forever where all of the good work that we do today is gonna be remembered and valued, where all of our suffering will be shown to be for our good, where all of our sadness and pain will be turned to joy. So if this resurrection is true, and just like the early church, we don't have to be afraid of anything. Not Roman swords, not cancer, nothing. 
if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then it changes everything. So I hope as you look at the resurrection this Easter, this Easter day, I hope you see that there is proof that the gospel is true. I hope that you see in the resurrection there is now this power for new life that comes from outside of ourselves. I hope you see that we have an unshakable hope for the new world to come. So let us walk in the power of this resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have condescended and you have shown us that you indeed are a God, not only of justice, but a God of love, that you would send Christ to die, to pay for our sin, to crush death once and for all. And Lord, that you would give us proof of this by raising him from the dead. And so, Lord, as we look to Jesus and his resurrection, I pray that you would give all of us in here tonight faith to believe it. Lord, as we don't have the benefit of Thomas, who is able to see and to touch, and yet, Lord, we too believe, and you have told us that we will be blessed for believing. So, Father, I pray for us in here tonight for friends who are wrestling with Jesus, trying to figure out who he is, Lord, that you would bless us as we have faith in, in the resurrected Jesus. So, Lord, seal these truths to our hearts. I pray that we would walk in the power and the newness of this life that you've given us by your spirit. We pray you would be honored and glorified and that your people would be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen.